Welcome to the Stats Check Podcast with your hosts, Andrew and Joe. Follow us on Facebook at Stats Check Podcast and Twitter at Stats Check Cast. Now to this week's review of Furikuri Season 2, Progressive, Episode 6, Our Run, the finale of this season. So, Joe, I want to throw it to you. What's your initial review, ratings, thoughts, feelings, robots? <laughs> there are plenty of robots, actually a lot more than I expected. Oh, yeah. Man, I, I can't give this like a perfect rating because I, I'm not going to do that. But you had texted me before I watched it, and all you said was something to the effect of, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. That, that, you didn't want me to spoil it, so I had to say something. Yeah, and that was about right because I watched this the first time through and it just knocked me on my ass. And for me, that's really what I was hoping that they would be able to get to at the climax here. You know, my recollection of, especially the early watches of season one, I always finished that season just bewildered, even though I knew what was coming. And so in this case, not knowing what was coming and getting that feeling that really only this kind of series can do for me was fantastic. I thought they finished it up great. They answered some questions. They left some huge questions for us. Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm so sad that season three is going to be so far away now. Even though it's not going to be 18 years, it's going to be so <laughs> far away. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you there. I mean, literally, I, and I'm going to come out with my rating out front, which I think is a 9.5. I honestly think this was the best episode of the series. I don't have any qualms about saying that. I think everything from the tempo starting to finishing. The tempo was fast-paced. The music was on point. It was strong. The narrative was strong. It was all action, all go. And like at every moment, I was like, yes, yes, yes. I did three rewatches. Um, actually, one uh, s- Sunday morning, one Sunday evening. And then uh, we're recording on Monday. I actually watched it again just to make sure I caught a few lines that I wanted to make sure I got right. Um, so, so three rewatches, which is the most I've done of the series. And frankly, I think when we do a um, longer series review of the whole season two and kind of tying it in maybe a little bit with season one, I'm probably going to need to rewatch it a third time. But I was just enamored by this episode, so it is on my top list. I, I'm not going to give it that high. I'm actually going to peak out at around eight because of something you were actually pointing out here as a virtue, the pace was really fast through all of it. There was only really one or two moments where you got that slower and just more overwhelming sense that you got sometimes throughout this season and throughout season one that I think is still one of those hallmarks, one of those things that I have trouble putting to words, but just that feeling of nearing overflow, I guess, is the closest I'm going to get. Yeah, And I I still got that through this, but there wasn't a lot of time to really reflect on it in the moment. I felt like this episode was, again, a lot longer than its runtime showed, but it still wasn't enough for me. I would have loved another couple minutes in it just to digest 
And I think, yeah, I, I see your point, and there's definitely some areas, like you said, that they left open, which I think is where some of that longing comes from, you know, and some of that need to digest more than just NO from children. But Yeah, I, I, I'm not bothered by having to come right here and vomit up everything that we just consumed. Right. But I know that this one is going to be lingering with me for a long time. I, you know, I had the soundtrack on repeat all day today at work and I did not get as much done as probably my mechanical overlords would have liked, but who cares? Exactly. It doesn't really matter anyways. So starting out with what really doesn't matter, Captain Dodo leading the way that was in that, and that just <laughs> that kind of like angel battle music they had going on there in the beginning. With yeah. Like, that was the, you the, know, the music sound effects. Was different in some of the sequences here than you would have expected. And you've had experience with in this series in the past. It, it actually made me look up finally. Now that the season's over, I broke my own seal and I was willing to go look up some information about it. And I'm going to have to look further into who they got to actually do the soundtrack and the background music for all the songs that were not the pillows, because right. it was a different vibe, especially in episode six. I, I'm not unhappy with it at all. In fact, I like some of those tracks and I'd like to get my hands on them, mm-hmm. but it was unexpected. Yeah. And I think that the other thing too, is even the pillow songs were different versions. I, I think after one of the episodes, I might've mentioned that there was like a, I think there was a variant, I think it was the last episode, there was a variant of Last Dinosaur and I like looked it up and found it that it's like slightly different um, yeah, than from I'm, season one. I'm going to confess, I'm not really a good fan of any particular band at this point in my life. And so I didn't have an understanding of their discography. And one of the several hundred tabs I have open on my desktop now is exactly that. And so I'm going to learn some things this week coming up as I try to pick up where all of that came from. We can talk about it in the review. So definitely. Um, but I, I mean, just to, because you picked on Captain Dodo, I want to say his reaction there at the very beginning of just shit. <laughs> I want that yes. to be my reaction basically in any text message ever if something goes wrong. Right. I was feeling that. <laughs> It's like, and then everything goes red. It's like, you know, immediate battle stations because it was, shit was getting real. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, you get the, the immediate, you know, the fight there and then the kind of spreading of, which I thought at first was due to the medical Makanica plant, but thinking about that whole scene in context was really like the coming of Atomosk, you know, kind of his descent, you know, that. And Haruko was ready for it. You know, as we forecast last time, she had laid a trap there at the roller coaster and we got to see it take shape. Right. So there were two shapes that I think were important out of that um, kind of sequence. Hmm. Uh, and that was, you know, first the, the DNA helix and then the birdcage, right? Hmm. So, I mean, I think you get kind of two important symbolisms there. I mean, obviously humanity is, is symbolized by the, the DNA and, and our you know, mutual humanity, but also her wanting to trap at the mosque, you know, and that we even came back at the end when, you know, she sort of shoots the chains at him. So I think yeah. that was pretty strong imagery right there. <laughs> it's funny. It's, it's not like she's never met him before and she has as much material as, you know, she would need, but 
the cage that ends up being constructed there is woefully insufficient. You know, and she exclaims out as as it's being devoured. There, it's huge. You know, he's 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 a giant bird. That cage he's is a not giant, cut it. giant bird. I mean, it, it literally didn't even fit like on his chest. I mean, I think he could have used it as like a uh, a talisman around his neck at best. Yeah. And, and you know, before we get too too far in that scene, I, I did. What did you think of the um this the interaction between Haruko and Hidomi? I actually really liked that interplay there. I mean, in terms of you know Hidomi breaking down and kind of begging at one point, and then coming to the realization that you know she's going to have to fight Haruko and she's going to have to oppose her and take what she wants rather than just having it given to her. It was a good microcosm of their interactions to this point. And I think it was an even better representation of what this version, this season's version of Haruko is about. You know, here she is first lecturing Hidomi after Hidomi begs and then beckoning her into a fight but really, that fight is just a trap anyway, because what she really wanted from Hidomi all along was for her to unleash the power, unleash her NO, so that it could be absorbed by the cage array, so it could assemble. So right. whether she was going to get that because Hidomi was going to trade her the power for you know Ide's reconstitution, or whether she was going to fight Haruko and unleash that power to be absorbed... It was all already there in the trap that was laid. And so it's it shows just the degree of cleverness that she has, but also shows, I think, a little bit that she was never fully interested in teaching Hidomi, lecturing Hidomi, bringing Hidomi up. And I guess that's part of the, the, her line there, you know, responsible for your own responses. You know, it's sort of she didn't, she never was really invested in that mentor-teacher role. And, and, and I don't think it was even close to the same way as, as season one. We won't go there. But, you know, I think that, that in this one, there's much more of a streak of independence. And that, that was kind of clear, I think, in that, in that line. And I think the, the scene flipped from there to, you know, the mochi kind of, they called it, you know, the, the, the balls of goo that were kind of consuming the town, destroying everything. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot more sense, I guess, in the Japanese context than it does here. There's I do not like a lot the of mochi, mochi ice creams, though. They sell right. the Trader no. Joe's. I, well, I don't know anything about that, but I do like them, but they're not a staple in the diet around here. And so it was hard for me to recognize what they were at first. I mean, clearly the operation of them was straightforward, but it wasn't until they were actually named later on by Aiko's dad that I was able to figure out, oh, yeah, of course, it's really sticky. Yeah, and, and I guess the point of it was that when the power of Atomos came within proximity of the medical mechanica plant, that was kind of made to try to, like, trap him, I guess. So that was sort of like a defense mechanism. Yeah, it it seemed like it was triggered by that. And it seemed like it was triggered prematurely by Hidomi channeling that power. Yeah. Atomos was still up in orbit far away, and this thing was firing indiscriminately. So I think it was more because of what Haruko had done to set up that roller coaster cage trap and to bait Hidomi into unleashing her power that set off the iron 
to fire that way rather than what I think medical mechanica would have hoped, which is that, you know, when Atomos comes down, that it would be able to spray all of that onto him at once and try to catch him. Yeah, and you, but you have to give the um, captain and her uh, a codename Eyepatch and Iko's dad some cred because they did see this coming. They kind of saw this destruction coming from the medical mm-hmm. mechanica plant. Same with Captain Dodo. And, you know, they were semi-prepared. I mean, there was that that speech with Ico, um, but it turns which, out that they actually knew a little bit more than, than maybe we gave them credit for. Yeah, I, I have mixed feelings because it does confirm our theory that she was an artificial construct, but it also makes us look a little bad for, you know, making fun of them so much for being terrible spies when they actually did have an idea of a contingency plan here. So, and, and to be even, yeah, well, I think we'll call it even. And, and I, and I, you know, I think that ultimately, if you look at Ico, it does skip ahead. This is skipping a little bit ahead, but ultimately she was effective. Like the, with, with the power of the potted plant and herself together, she effectively shut down the medical mechanica plant by herself and stopped the kind of destruction or any other further defensive measures that might've like leveled the world. Yeah. It's the first time we've actually seen one of those plants get totally destroyed like that. Right. So I don't know where they got... Well, actually, no, I'll take that back. We know a little bit about where they got it. Well, some of it was from Conti, right? Yeah, I'm going to stand on that theory where, you know, you're looking at that image on their wallpaper of the lab with Conti and this other robot. I'm still going to hold on to this idea that that other robot is either a prototype or a basis for what ended up being Ico considering that she worked off of principles similar to other medical mechanica robots, even to the point of being able to have that radio connection with Conti across some interdimensional barrier. Yeah, I think that's, uh, honestly, Joe, I don't think that's controversial. I don't think you have to stand on that point because I think it was pretty clear because like you said... Well, it's just she doesn't look like the thing that was in that image. That thing looked like a bare bones android and she looks like a human girl gave her some just flesh. happens to have some yeah. plant parts yeah yeah gave her a little nice little plant bow that was also an antenna you know and, and then she fit in and you know i like that scene with um you know with her and, and, and maury there you know honestly like she she saves maury from getting mochied along the way as he's just bouncing giddily through the whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I took that the other way around i thought he saved her from getting mochi. Check my notes. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, you're right. It was okay. That way. Yeah. No. It's it's. Sorry, it's, I'm so used to Ico being the independent woman that I assume that she saved him. Right. So and the only reason I proactive for once that wasn't yeah, being it, a, a pervert. The only reason why I think she was in any danger is because she was carrying like hundreds of pounds of stuff on her back. I right. Mean, this also clearly shows off that she's not quite human because she's carrying a burden quite easily that is many times her size, which is lost in that scene, of course. Somehow, Maury's able to disentangle her from that backpack that included, like, a baseball bat, an umbrella, a giant onion stalk, just crazy things. Everything but the money. Well, she gets gets the money. I mean, when she gets to her dad, you know, she she gets the money from him. Right, but they, they must have had some kind of intense discussion between five and six here because she was planning on using the money, but she leaves home with everything else except that. Yeah. So I, I, that's the, that's the question. I think that's the unanswered question, which maybe 
you know, we had speculated at some point that there might be sort of a Nina More-esque solo episode, but I think the choice was made here to leave that off screen, to leave that mystery mm -hmm. of Ico for the sixth episode. And yeah. I, you know, I like that decision. I'm okay with it being an off the screen thing. I mean, yeah, I'm interested in it, but in that whatever conversation happened there. Yeah, but... and I think part of it also is a deliberate choice to continue to obscure who her dad is to give him, you know, only as much screen time as they needed to leading up to the reveal later. Well, we know who his dad is now. Right, right, right. But it's, in, in some ways, you know, the more you have to put him on screen, the more you have to come up with excuses to draw him at an angle where the shadow from that baseball cap is covering for his identity. Exactly. But the lack aside, of brow. Yeah, but aside from that, for Ico, we were right. I mean, she was trying to use the money, you know, as they put it, to buy her freedom, and she was left in a position where she had to make an important choice. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, she keeps the money at the end. Even when she's respawned and naked, she still got the money, right? I yeah, mean, I... I want to spend more time on this in our season recap, but sure. this definitely drives home the point that, that money and working is an important new theme in season two that wasn't there in season one. Absolutely. And, you know, the fact that it's instrument, I mean, not just that she responds with it, but she responds out of the vessel for it. She, she comes out of a pumpkin. This right. is something so important to her that it is the vessel for reconstructing her body. Yes, she's reborn from the money and still contains the money as a central element to her core, which is covering her bits. So we'll, we'll get into the thematic parts of that, but I think you know, taking the scene to the interaction between, I think the biggest one is the interaction between Hidomi and her mom there. I, I yeah, went back well, I just to... Hold on, let, let's transition us. Okay. They all get sucked into Adam's... Haruko and Hidomi. Sure. And, you know, they're, they're in trouble. I mean, everything else is going on. They have no idea where they are. Haruko lost her guitar. Hidomi has no idea where she is. And, yeah, that connection comes... Well, not from... everybody's doing that bad. I mean, Haruko's having a little tea with Granny there, you know, at the, yeah. the little table. There, there has to be something else there. Well, I mean, I don't know that they know each other, but... Whoever the chief is there, that, that old woman, she, either because she knows or because she follows Haruko's advice, you know, she's trying to get Conti's head to get working again. And so at a certain point, she takes a broom and she whacks it, which is, right. you know, whacking somebody on the head is the classic way to get them operational in this series. Absolutely. And, you know, she seems to know about, you know, Amaral because she knows Aiko's mm -hmm. father. And um, she recognizes Haruko's original guitar, which we have no idea how it got inside Atomsk to begin with, considering it had been left with Nauta at the end of season one. I mean, assuming that Atomsk can kind of spawn anything that's possible, but also maybe eventually... Nauta threw it away and it got recycled. You know, I mean, that's possible. Or Right, but he hasn't been there. back to Earth. This bird has not, you know, darkened the skies of this planet, I'm assuming. Well, remember, the bird also consumed the satellite. And they, they, were, they could have been within the satellite within a thumbnail. Right, but it still got to space somehow. 
Right, right. But I'm saying there, there's a, they establish there's like space elevators. There's a way for it to get to yeah, space. Yeah, guarded by immigration authority security. Dude, if codename iPatch can get through that security, I'm saying it's not top notch. No, I, I understand it. It's just that it means that Naota was involved in some other adventure, or at least that guitar left him and went on an adventure, end up in that trash satellite. And, you know, it'll be very fascinating to me, and I'm not going to get into it, but to see where, you know, season three takes that in terms of filling the bridge being after or before this, because honestly, temporally, it could even be before this. And Yeah, but let, and let's that. be clear. I mean, season two, we're now pretty sure is at least several decades after season one. Uh, oh, clearly. I think that it's got to be decades afterwards and possibly far further in the future than, than even that. But if you're assuming that Amaral is... Ico's father's father, right. then it probably isn't more than, you know, 40 to 50 years. That would be a lot. Yeah. I mean, he's got to be at the youngest in his late 20s and probably older than that if he's going to realistically pose as the father for a girl who looks like she's 13 to 15. 13, 14. Yeah, I mean, the other characters are 14, right? So. Right. And. You know, yes, you can, you know, squash that a little bit because she is an artificial construct, but too far and it starts to become unbelievable. Right. So slipping back to that conversation with, yeah. the, with the mother, you know, it, that, that I think was pretty touching to me, kind of was once again them coming together and kind of connecting in the sense. I was re-watching to see if there was any clues in there about the dad and literally the lines is, you know, he left for the factory and left the headphones. But, you know, so it sounds like he was, he, her father, quote unquote, was a human person, uh, maybe a medical mechanic employee, whatever. But I don't think get... they have employees. Remember, you know, back to season one. Lackey. Haruko points out that those plants have no entrances or exits to them. So, so no one like works. Wonka's chocolate factory. I mean, there's still Oompa Loompas inside, you know, come on. Well, I mean, we've seen the inside of it a little bit. There are robots there. But regardless, I don't think he left for the plant because he was invited. Mm. It could I have think, been trying to break in, right? Yeah, some, some adventuring. Yeah, so that, that leads me to believe that the father is a human figure. In, but, you know, once again, the nature of uh, Hidomi as part robot or having a robot nature kind of obscures that mm -hmm. uh, to a certain extent where she still, you know, is clearly if she needed to be inhibited from becoming a robot, then clearly that's part of her DNA, so to say. That That's what was keeping her from going all the way through puberty, right? Yep. The puberty for her being turning into a robot and then coming back out of that. Exactly. And that's, I think, when she gets into saying that things have changed. The mother said, I just wanted it to stay the same. I was waiting to become your real mother, but Hidomi acknowledges what we've been saying through the episodes is that she's been changing. She's been progressing. Right. And, and again. But after she abandons the thing that was helping her stay the same, which were the headphones. Right. With, with some help from Ide Conti. Right. I mean, but she'd been working her way up to that through it. You know, we'd seen her less and less attached to them. Well, it, it was a complicated relationship. I think just like the relationship with her father, that was very, you know, that was something that 
at some point she was more attached to, some points she was less attached to, some points she was appalled by, some points she was relying upon. Right. So, I mean, but here at that moment, she makes a very clear statement about self-reliance. Yes. You know, the only thing that stays the same is that I can change myself. Exactly. It and is, I really like that. It, it's something, to be completely honest, most people that probably ever lived can never authentically say. Well, it's hard to come to the realization that, you know, at the end of the day that, you know, you know that you can change. It, it, you know, well, you it's can... not just a realization. I mean, it's a realization in the sense of, can you make that a reality? And most of us, most of the time, aren't living that way. Can't well, well that. I can, I, but my, my point, Joe, is you can say it. I can say, you know, you have the capability to change, Joe, and, and not be such a bitter, crusted old man. But to wake up tomorrow and actually take that in action, like you just mentioned, that's very difficult, and few people do that. Right. I, I, and to be clear, I tried it. I didn't like it. It didn't take, <laughs> and I'm back. That's right. This this is actually you're the, back giving you're back giving eights to a nine point five. Yeah, this is this is the more powerful, more concentrated version of the old me that existed before I watched Furikuri the first time, and before someone had the dumb idea to give you a microphone. The brilliant so. idea. Thank you <laughs> for nudging this along. I'm going to give you you know all the credit you deserve there. Exposing so, this to the world. Just like Hidomi exposed herself as a robot, and she's a fucking sexy robot. Let me tell you, the curves and the, the symmetry on that robot looks pretty damn good, right? I mean, that, that robot form? Even, even Haruko was impressed. Yeah. You know, Conti was always kind of boxy, kind of awkward, gangly, but, you know, she streamlined. And you could see that in the scene where they start kind of evacuing, where it's kind of Haruko and Hidomi robot in the forefront and then you know bringing up the rear guard is is the conti well he's also dragging the whole satellite correct correct and, but i think it also shows the passage of time she's definitely a newer model oh yes yes exactly and you know conti's the og so you know you had that scene where they're kind of going through the i guess another atomos space you know, trying to find a, a slip to reality. And, and, and Haruko is continuing to behave as, you know, we've come to expect her to, even though she's encouraging Hidomi and, you know, the currently silent Ide to go along with this. She wastes no opportunity to push herself to the front to get out. And, and I think that's what we see this time, you know, more than last season, but, you know, also just see this different side of Haruko that's very fixated on on what she wants in a way in which she's actively suppressing others' interests and suppressing their their agendas. And, and to me, again, it's I'm undecided as to whether it's a decision on the part of the production team to write her differently or to write the scenes differently to showcase them. Because I think when push came to shove in season one, she would still do something like that. It's just that the way the scenes were written, it didn't highlight that to the same degree that we're getting now, where it's very blatant. And yeah, and that was the in the face of the next scene. I mean, I, that was the most in the face I've ever seen 
that writing and that exposition where, you know, Atomosk is there, Ide Atomosk is there with the power manifested, full red like a bird, you know, and they both take off in this battle double kiss scene where you, you have clearly a competition of interests, personalities, you know, one of them power, the other love, I guess, altruism maybe. And it's funny you say that because that's what the wordplay kind of was just prior to their escape scene. Hidomi tells Haruko that she's going to use her own power for herself. And Haruko says, you know, who would have thought this kid would be all noble and altruistic? And it just seems like a complete reversal of what Hidomi is trying to say that by saying that she's going to use her power for herself, that that's actually more generous than what the alternative would have been, maybe giving the power away, doing something, you know, I don't... I like that. No, I I really like that juxtaposition because that's a a perception of love, right? What is love? I mean, love is, is equal parts selfishness and selflessness. That's love. You know, it's wanting somebody for yourself, for your own needs, for your own satisfaction. You know, love satisfies you. But at a certain point, it's also doing what it takes to, for that other person, doing whatever it takes to, you know, make them happy, to, you know, protect them, to save them, you know, that sort of unconditionality for it. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's a complexity to love, and I think we saw that in this series, and that, that was one of the, I don't want to go too much into themes, but I mean, once again, I think that was a theme. I think, you know, right. love was more <laughs> at the forefront here. I think there was, in other seasons, infatuation, but I think we really saw kind of the development of a relationship, which I think was really a, a beautiful thing. I really did love it. I didn't come loaded today to discuss or break down a typology or hierarchy of love and how it could be directed at different things, whether they be humans, robots, you know, superhuman birds, what have you. (laughs) It's, I'll be honest, it, even though you're right, this isn't the series I would have thought of first thinking of the concept of love. And but, I, yeah, do, do some thinking on it. We'll be back to it. And yeah, I, I, I just love, later, you know, I, and later on and years from now, I'm sure I'll still be mulling it over. And you might be bursting out of your shell, just like Hidomi did during that scene. That was one of my favorite parts when the robot Hidomi gets busted in the face and then she just crawls out from the, 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 the husk. Yeah. I, again, it shows the difference between them. You know, one is a first timer and one is very experienced at this. Hidomi actually lands a hit on Haruko for the first time, and she's surprised at herself, so much so that she gives up the advantage and takes one right back in the face. Right, right. There was some blood drawn there, right? I think I saw some blood Yes, on there. and that's actually, again, Hidomi in her various mechanized forms is the only thing we've seen short of the full power of Adamsk that's able to do any damage to Haruko at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say my boy Ide did get a hit in there. I mean, granted, she wasn't really trying, but yeah, it, but she's the one who actually got a nosebleed out of her yeah. in both ways. That's right. That's right. And and so they both get there. Well, both... But but hold on. Like at the very beginning of this, I was still mystified by. I mean, it took me a second to even recognize what that symbol on Conti's face was asking for. Those were lips, and he was asking for a kiss. Mm-hmm. But 
who was asking for it? It could be both. I well, mean, I mean, you've you've actually got three entities in there. Right, right. And that's where I was going to go. Is, yeah. Conti's its own thing. E-Day was in there. Mm-hmm. Adolfsk was in there. And I guess the other thing, too, is maybe there's a little bit of Jinyu juice in there, too. Uh, and I know Jinyu it's, was... That's where we end up. It, it, it's, Jinyu it's was say. technically inside of, yes, you know, was consumed by Hargo. But, I mean, ultimately, she spawns out of the Atomsk juices that she vomits up. So, you know, kind of a merger of those, those two. So Yeah, I, I, I hate to put it this way, but I feel like this is trying to dissect, you know, the third impact multi-body problem. Yeah. Who has to be involved, who is where, in order for this reaction to take place that we end up seeing on screen. I don't know, but... That's that's what I'm wondering is where did that invitation for a kiss come from? Because it doesn't seem like any of the three main people that we're thinking of there that those two characters would even be looking at in that way. Ide doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would try that. Atomsk otherwise has been largely aloof and Conti was always really shy on his own. So, so, but I think that's the that's the merger because I think we saw that in season one too when the you know when Nauta and um, Conti were together they they acted I mean I was obviously bold you know mm-hmm. confident so I think you have you know obviously Ide's romantic interest and then the confidence and the power and the assertiveness of Atomsk and then you know Conti's robot body I right. mean his personality aside I don't think and, much of his personality came out in this right and I. I'll let this go for later, but I do want to stick a pin in it right now to say it makes me call into question what the source of the season one, episode six confession was as well. Because it's coming out of Naota's mouth, but, you know, up until that exact moment, he'd been invested with the power, marked with the sigil. Yeah, I don't want to get into that. I really don't want to get into that because that has ramifications. We will discuss that because right. I'm just paying you back for you know catching me flat-footed about love here, which and, is and I'm usually ready to expound upon for ages. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you know you had that beautiful speech. I really loved it. I didn't get all the words down to it. It was a longer speech, but Jinyu's you know kind of words coming out as Ide's respond. It was the same one from episode three. It's just that Ide for was baby. not paying attention to it. Yeah. Okay. And, and of course, before that all happens, I think there's the important interaction between Haruko and Atomosk in a kind of humanoid form there, you know, where she tries to capture him. She can't do it. Um, you know, he, she says, you know, I've been chasing you. You're refusing to be mine. You know, why won't you look at me? I mean, that, you know, once again, comes back to her, her interests and she punches and fights him as much as she can, but she can't beat him down. And ultimately... Well, I, I, again, I think at that point, you know, those aren't her real punches. That's just her frustration. I mean, she's already lost at that moment. I, I, I don't. She, I don't think it mattered, Joe. I don't no, think that no, if she gave I, a real punch. It was no. I, I agree, but I think it shows that she had already mentally surrendered. You know, her scheme, which was otherwise quite clever, unraveled. Her most powerful attempt to shackle him there was dissolved i think the rest of it was just her 
trying to come to grips with that, you know, for as unsympathetic as they've tried to paint her throughout this season, it was still really moving to me. Well, it was, and and I identified it with, you know, with it too. I mean, that just, and I brought this up last episode because it's, it's deep and it's, it's personal, but when, once again, you know, when you, they, and they brought up the line, you know, she's, I'll recite it, but you know, the fact that you can't catch it, can't reach it, makes you want to chase it, makes you want to go after mm-hmm. it more, you know? And I think that's that frustration of knowing she's chased it, obviously for decades now, at least minimum, even if you're yeah. just talking from season one. And, and clearly because she hasn't physically aged in that time, you have to imagine she could have been doing this for much, much longer. Right. And we don't know whether the next series is in there and what she's with that. So, you know, I, it, it's possibly a infinite chase. I mean, that's one of the, things that that could be going on here i'd be willing to accept that and i think that we do see that you know but i think the interesting thing is is when it's almost you know kind of relents there and like hugs her and then we get the kiss that's definitely a different interaction than we saw previously yeah but we we knew afterward that when he leaves that presence the figure there that's remaining is Jinyu. Right, which made me question what was what really was the one that kind of hugged and sort of kissed, yeah. and was that part Jinyu, like you know, in, in her empathy and understanding, and, and saying you know, look, you know, I'm part of you, I love you, you know, that 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 being there, right. and, and and also perhaps her standing there waiting for Haruko to go through that episode of utter frustration as well, and not answering her, not gesturing her in any way mm-hmm. yeah that that just to let her come to grips with it that was that was very powerful and i think that that kind of scene too you know with Amtos leaving and her being there kind of just smiling and they even come back you know they kind of look at each other and then they embrace again so you know Hargo kind of accepts that yeah it's something that she only does with jinyu i think it's something she only does with someone who's roughly her equal you know right. everyone else she will play some trick on use some clever turn of phrase to evade but with Jinyu, she's willing to cry on her shoulder and maybe that's because that's part of that's she's part of her she's from the same essence at the very least and you know so she can identify with that struggle and that desire for atomosk in one way or another but they don't stay together no no, they don't. They they split up. One's got four wheels, one's got two, right? <laughs> yeah, so, and in classic form that we would have expected for Jinyu, she just drives off without a word to anyone else, you know, in, in that, that stoic sense that we've come to expect her caricaturing. To she's also end. got her sunglasses back, so she obviously they repoed those. They were or, lame. They were lame. Of course, Haruko would let them. They were the best. So, yeah, no, I think a- after that... yeah. Scene. Oh, right, right. And I, I didn't want to waste the opportunity. I realized at that moment that I had neglected to notice something very important. What, the fact that my boy Ide was naked? <laughs> no, no. Although nobody was particularly shocked or dismayed by that. I think <laughs> they'd all seen him in that state already. Well, he was half naked during that construction scene. Hey, right, no, but after that, in his place, he act, you know, when he jumps out of his boxers at her... Oh, that's right. All three of those ladies had already seen him, you know, from the waist down. No, that's that's not what I was getting at. I 
had not noticed, you know, in, in my fixation on other details, I ignored the fact that after Haruko devours Jinyu at the end of episode four, all the way up to this point when she vomits her back out, instead of having her normal yellow eyes, Haruko's eyes are red, oh, like yeah. Jinyu's have been. And it made me go back. And even in the end credits, when she's reaching for Atomsk, her eyes are red there before they split, which mm. is not normal. You know, all through season one, Haruko's eyes are yellow. All through this season, up until that fusion, they're yellow. So I don't know what this means, but it's a clear sign that them being combined is different than Haruko is when they're separate. And I had totally overlooked it before. I feel like and such I, a dumbass. And I, well, we, well, no, but we pointed out other things, other details that showed they were the same I mean, behavioral changes. Mm, of course. You know, stylistic changes, obviously the very lame sunglasses. Right. And, th- and that was what should have highlighted it because she put the sunglasses on to cover her eyes. But at the same time, you could see through them that they were a different color. Hmm. Very good catch, Joe. Well, better late than never is my motto in all things except one. Well, you did you did about a, as good job catching as Maury, who you know probably was the most <laughs> athletic he's ever been in his life to catch the young nubile reborn Bobby Lyko. He was working this episode. You know, yeah. he saves her from the mochi. He pedals the three of them up that mountain, and he does yeah that acrobatic catch. Now, now I was you know I saw the old, the the he's still a scrub. Run. Oh yeah, no for sure. Okay, but just want to be clear. I'm I'm not giving him pass on being a scrub. Yeah. So so Marco survived by I guess being inside of the rod. He, he's which he's, very creepy, by the way. That was very creepy for me. He, he's he's young boy mecha pilot here. But yeah. why is that creepy to you? I, I don't know because maybe the the motion of the the duck and him scooting around in it. I had a duck in my backyard. <laughs> I'll point it out to you. It may still be there, Joe. Um, okay. But I look forward to it. Very creepy. And, you know, Captain Dodo, I thought he was mochied, but it, it looks like he, like, kind of emerged from his suit, maybe, and got out of it. I know Grandma, Satellite Grandma, was, like, watering people. Like, she got yeah. code name patch and Iko's dad up. It, it, it looks like, I guess, people can survive that process. There are customers at the cafe when all is said and done. I guess it wasn't meant to be fatal, for humans and destructive, but not fatal. Yeah. And probably not fatal to Atomsk. So I guess medical mechanica continues to want to take him alive. Right. Right. So it was, it was good. Cause I really did, you know, they played it up. They made it look like everybody was going to die to touch this stuff. You had that heartfelt scene where Iko's dad is telling her to leave. And it's like, Oh, it's the last we're ever going to see. Oh, yeah. It's oh, LCL. Everybody's LCL, man. <laughs> Yeah, okay, fine. If we're going that way, then they found the will to live as independent beings and came back onto this earth in their human forms. That's right. That's exactly right, Joe. No, it's not. Thanks, Ava. <laughs> no, <laughs> but yeah, no, I like that. I, I, I like the comedy in the series, and I love that like last interaction there between Ide and Haruko, where it's like, I'm sorry, but, but, but I'm not, I'm not just, I'm just not that into you, Haruko. I'm just not that into you. Just, it, it just shows you know, sort of that awkwardness. This is not the same guy who was like asking them to, you know, beckoning them to kiss him in 
Conti robot at some right. form. You know? And that and Marco's interaction there and all, lots of other things that we've talked about before continue to make me wonder, what do people remember when they're plugged into these NO robots? I don't think it's everything. I think it's kind of like a selective memory. Like, you know, something happened, not really fully aware of what happened. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's like Hidomi's dream sequences have been yeah, a different kind of episode. I mean, because clearly she wasn't in a different space or inside of Atomsk in her body right. when she was dreaming, but she went to a dreamscape that featured all of those things, featured right. things that we saw inside of him in this episode. Right. And spe- speaking of Hidomi too, I, I, yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but like, I don't know when she got like the crop top outfit. Like she never would, seems very something that she, she never wore before, before she like, before this episode. No, it um, was that that's her undergarment. You saw a brief glimpse of it at the end of the previous episode because that was what was under Ide's jacket when she's storming up the hill oh, to confront Haruko. Okay. And there was never really a close-up. Most of it was covered again by the jacket. But in this case, when she gives it back to him, I don't know where he gets pants from. Right. And the pants are lying around, I guess. Well, I- I'm going to blame it on, on the chief. You know, she had that stack of blankets for Hidomi to fall onto conveniently at the end there. So I'm sure she just happened to have in that huge trash pile in the satellite some pants that match the uniform and fit his waist exactly. Yeah, of course. Medical mechanic attack, man. It's adjustable waistline. <laughs> so, you know, that, 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 that parting scene, like, that just gave me a good laugh and made me feel good. You know, just seeing the, the cut scene of the cafe with everybody there, kind of, you know, amongst the debris, Conti robot in a dress. Back, know, I, back where we expected him to be all along, being yes. you know, a nice domestic helper that he was all through season one. He, he's back in his element. Exactly. You know, get, showcasing that award-winning personality. And it does then make it clear to us that he is not the dad. Yes. So that part of that speculation has unfortunately sunk. Now, now that being said, I, I'm not going to rule out the fact that parts are like Conti tech or something related to Conti couldn't have been used sure. on Hadomi or experimented on or whatever. Especially but, if they've had several decades of Conti either living on Earth or being experimented on by humans on Earth. Right, right. So, you know, the final scene is kind of that big scoreboard, I guess. Is it like... Oh, no, 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 no. This, this is... So remember, That's I told you all the way back before that when Ide flashes the gallery ticket... You can mm-hmm. see the name on it, and it actually has a similar array of numbers on it. I looked that guy up. He's a real artist in our world today. Right. And he does installations like that. And so you saw, again, that thematic coming up in sort of the cutscenes here for the title and the transition for commercials. You had the number arrays, and then you had this array there at the end. And so I guess they're really just building this guy up. I don't know. I've they, never seen yeah, any of his stuff. But... The deepest marketing campaign ever. And I guess Ide did finally use that ticket to the art show, right? Yeah, which somehow survived that horrendous mochi barrage, even though everything around it was ruined. Right, right. And I mean, lots of convenient stuff happened here. But I mean, there I, was I, no reason for it. There was no reason for it not to. Well... 
I, and make sure I'm getting this right, but you know, I think the the final is uh, there's nothing I want to do. Probably not the best way to be, but it probably doesn't matter, Joe. Yeah, that's what she says, and I don't know how much time you want to spend on that now versus later, but well, I just think first thoughts on it. I, I, you know, I, sure. I was just happier with this this ending, you know, and sort of uh, to me looking at that moment, you know, seeing it cut back to like them going in for the kiss. It's like that that to me reminded me of living in the moment and how important that is in your life. And, and that's like an important thing to discover. You spend so much time working towards a goal, you know, to, to be somewhere, to get something, to achieve something, you know. But then you realize that maybe you're not doing the right thing right now, but you're here. You don't care. It doesn't matter. And you're in that moment. And, well, and to me, that was a beautiful moment. At the end. Right. I, I want to push back on a couple of things. I mean, yes, that's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. I agree to that completely. But I think, you know, she shows some wisdom by saying it's probably not the best and it's probably something that doesn't matter. Right, right. No, Rather I like absolutely saying it doesn't matter. It probably doesn't matter. No, and I, says, I like that better. Can do. Yes. I like that better than Nauta's version because probably is, is well, a conditional. Well, hold on. What, what, what is Nauta's version here? I. I did not do notes for the last one, but right, I no, think but it, like, was, what you, it was definitive. It was nothing matters, actually, right? I mean, it was not probably, probably no, nothing matters. I don't, I don't remember anything like that. Okay, maybe I'm not. But uh, not, no, because I mean, remember, he's the one that's left behind there at the end. Or was it nothing interesting happens here? Right, but that's at the beginning. But, yeah. but I'm just saying no, nothing is, a, nothing is a, a total statement, you know, nothing versus probably nothing. You know, of course, but not. he's younger, and it's the beginning of the series. You know, Hidomi says the same thing in episode one in her dream, you know, that she remembers that she's an ordinary high school student and nothing amazing happens here. And I, and I think but, I want to save the comparison of the two, but right, right. let's put a pin in that I, one. I'm not, I'm not done fighting you on this, though. Sure, sure. So, you know, she says that, and I, look, this is just very personal here because that's... You know, that's how I came away in my earlier life from season one, feeling that way, feeling, you know, exactly what you're saying, that it's not about optimization. Living isn't something that you can maximize. Yes. But that should not be as it sometimes comes away feeling in these kind of situations. That should not be license to... You know, as Haruko says, do whatever you want, just because that's what she's going to be doing. Right. She's not human, and she's not really a good person either. She so also I, she also has infinite time. That's the other thing too. It's you know we think yeah probably, and so this is not, I think, either a totally what we should learn from this either you know, from Haruko, the character guiding us through these experiences, or from Furikuri, the series guiding us through these experiences, but that maybe it's just a little pressure off of us that we shouldn't worry about not living to some arbitrary fullest, not getting into heaven, not, you know, whatever it is that we're targeting. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that goals aren't important that experiences trump goals absolutely which i think you can come away from this feeling 
under certain circumstances. I know at certain points in my life, I felt that living as a human became more important than reaching for something more than human. Right. And, and I, I feel now I was wrong. I, I see. Yeah, no, I see. And I can see where that series, especially in season one, you know, I think experiences versus goals, objectives, purpose, finding purpose and drive in your life. And I think that this one, this series, and I, the way it wrapped up, I, I just think it highlighted change over time. I know you're yeah. going to shoot me right now, but progression, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that's, that's where it is. I mean, I think it showed positive change. The characters from episode one to this beautiful moment they have together and the place they are individually, Ide as an individual, Domi as an individual, a lot of the other characters have... I don't know. Ide still strikes me as kind of a doofus. I mean, now that we're full done with this season. But I still think he's grown a little. He's become a little bit more mature. He's gone through certain things. He's not perfect. He's not, you know, he's, he's a, being a doofus is part of his attractiveness, I think, especially in... I think Hidomi's eyes, he's, he's very lovable. Sure. I, that's actually not the part that I was going to come down hard on. His awkwardness is part of his charm. I think the greatest flaw I see in him as a character, as a person, as a character, not as a, you know, a fictional character, is his propensity to be over-serious. Right. You know, he's dedicated to his job. He's really intense when he comes to a commitment you know he's gonna protect hidomi he's gonna confront haruko you know meet me up on the school roof everybody right, else right. stay out of this you know i'm gonna i'm gonna bellow like a bear and swing my back can, can you identify with that joe at all i can identify with having somebody come at me that way <laughs> and i can tell you that it's not a great look no. No, but also, yeah, I'm I'm the guy with the bushiest eyebrows that I know. I'm going to give that stern, severe look at everything. And it's not a great way to be. And, and, no, and I, I think the one thing we could get, you know, don't have, it's a question out there, is kind of a postscript to seeing how he's kind of changed after this incident, you know, because yeah. obviously there was a loss of Hidomi in both of them. Both Ide and Hidomi kind of went through this kind of rage cycle through, uh, you know, which manifested in different ways for them. You know, he got super serious, attacked Haruko, pregnant Haruko. You know, Hidomi, you know, got angry, Did got sad, got resolute. You're right, there's more of a think of spectrum for Hidomi, but but also, yeah, got super serious at times. Yeah. So you, you saw a lot of change, but I think the moment where they were at the end, I think you could see they grew, they, they grew a bit, you know, and I think that their priorities did kind of get realigned in a positive way they'll be good for each other i think so too and you know i I, you know you could see even as he was being a doofus and and saying that dorky stuff to haruko you know hidomi kind of coming up and going for his hand you know yeah yeah she kind of well she's entertained by it you know she that she's right but she also can can like bring him down off of that yeah it's just you know coming away from this i don't want myself or our listeners to take away, you know, that last line by Hidomi as the most important one. I think for me, it's her earlier line in her conversation with her mother that shows the greatest wisdom for how to live. You know, again, the one about the only thing that stays the same is that I can change myself. I, I agree with you, John Macho. I think that was one of the biggest 
for me that that personally to me has been very very important to my life generally i think you know when i think about what resonates with me in real life that line there resonates the clearest you know and it's something that's that's it's difficult to to come to and just like Kadomi had to be at her end there you know sometimes change is something that only comes and i i've read this somewhere you know when you have like a a fear or a pain or almost a feeling of you're going to die unless you change this. Things are, <laughs> are going to go catastrophically wrong unless you change this. And then snap, you change it. So, I don't know if that's a great way to approach it either. Oh, no, but, uh, but no, I, I don't know it if that's works. a great way to approach it. But I'm saying that that's usually what prompts change. Sure. You know, it, that, that typically when, when people change and you look at the circumstances in which they change, it's usually when there's a, a threat. Yeah, the force of necessity. I get that. Yeah. But I think that's not what's going to produce the most beautiful result. No, and I think that's the beauty of this is that, you know, she came to that realization. You know, and Haruko, I, I, as much as she's been naughty this season, is still my favorite character through all of this. You know, she's not running out of necessity. She's not going through all the things she goes through because she's going to die if she doesn't. That's not her motivation. You know, she's she living out change, her life. Though. She is she's static, and and maybe no, this is something. No, we that's get that into. is not that is not true. We spent so much time highlighting the differences between season one Haruko and season two Haruko. Whether I like sure. it or not, she is different. I sure, like yeah, it. between the seasons, between the seasons, and I think that that's something we should definitely hit in our in our season review. I kind of want to bring this around and start wrapping it up, Joe. I know that's a lot. No, of, no, it's, it's hard to wrap it. But if we if we don't, we are just going to start the season review here, and we yeah. shouldn't do that. I need more time. You need more time. Everybody needs more time with this episode. This is an episode that I would recommend everybody watch more than once. I think that if you like the series as much as we do, if you care about it, you know you're going to end up watching it through and kind of watching this this episode but if you have to watch one twice this is the episode to watch twice yeah because definitely you're going to overflow the first time and you're going to need more time to digest it all again hopefully you don't vomit up any robots if you do slide right into our dms i want to hear all about it (laughs) and with that note uh, thank you for joining us here on the Stats Check Podcast with our review of Furry Quarry Season 2 Progressive Episode 6, Our Run. We will see you for our season review shortly. Thank you, everybody.